Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to another installment of New Books and Poetry's month-long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbook of Palooza. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Anders Carlson Wee is a 2015 NEA Creative Writing Fellow, 2015 Breadloaf Bakeless Camargo Fellow, and the author of Dynamite, winner of the 2015 Frost Place Chapbook Competition. His work has appeared or is forthcoming in Narrative, New England Review, The Missouri Review, The Southern Review, Best New Poets, and the Best American Non-Required Reading Series. Winner of Ninth Letters Poetry Award and New Delta Review's Editor's Choice Prize, he holds an MFA in Poetry from Vanderbilt University. Welcome, Anders. Thank you. Happy to be here. I want to start off by saying that I was very impressed with this collection. You have the cadence of a storyteller with the precision of a poet, and that is a deadly combination. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So for the first poem, would you please read Bird Calls on page six? Yeah, I will. Happy to do it. Uh, yeah, and do you want me to say anything about the poem? Um, yeah, that, that'd be perfect. Yeah, so yeah, this poem uh, grew out of a train hopping trip that I took with my brother across the country. We left from Minneapolis and rode trains out to Seattle. And basically the short version of like where this poem came out of is that when we were hopping out of the train yard in Minneapolis, we basically ended up breaking our water jugs so that we started the trip with no water at all. And it's like a four day trip across the prairie. It's very hot. And so on that ride, we were kind of screwed and we needed to come by some water. And this poem kind of picks up at that point. Hmm. This is called Bird Calls. I crept around the dark train yard while my brother watched for bulls. Two days deep into the badlands and all our water gone. We had a bird call for if you saw something and another for if you heard. A silent yard eight strings wide with a few junkers parked. The horizon a dull burn. The rails lit dimly by dew. I was looking for the water bottles the conductors used and threw out the windows with maybe a sip left inside them. I found one by stepping on it. I sucked it like a leech. I stumbled up and down the ballast and found five more, unbuttoning my shirt and nesting them against my chest, upright and capless. We had the sandpiper for if you should run and the flycatcher for if you should hide. I can't remember why we had the loon. I crouched in the space between coal trains, cradling the bottles and feeling the weight of how little I had to spill. I rubbed coal on my face. I felt crazy. I thought about being found like this. I tried to imagine what my story would be. A version with my brother in it. A version with no brother. I swear I could smell rain a thousand miles away. I could smell rain in the soot. I folded my hands around my lips and made the gray ghost, which told him where I was and also meant stay alert and also meant some other things only owls understood. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm very interested in the notion of a speaker in poetry and how we as poets often create psychic distance between ourselves and the speakers of our poems. It feels yeah. to me as though you've removed that distance. Am I right? Uh, you mean that my first-person narrative is is like myself? Is that what you mean? Um, pretty much. Yeah, that you're not hiding behind the idea of a speaker. Yeah. Um. It it's that's true in most of my poems. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Most of my poems are directly coming out of my life. I wouldn't want to, uh, say that the the details are like 100% based in fact. I mean, it's sort of like they're sort of uh personal myths, sort mm-hmm. of. Um. The, the emotional truth is there, and most of the narrative elements are also uh, true to my life. Uh, yeah, so uh, in most of my poems, that is true. I do also write, like uh, right now I'm working on a sequence of persona poems that's in another voice. Um, so it, it wouldn't be true of every one of my poems, but in, the, in most cases and in bird calls, yeah, that's definitely true. Hmm. Um, I'd love to hear another one. Um, would you please yeah. read County 19 on page 16? And if you'd like to say anything about it beforehand, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one came out of an experience hitchhiking um, in kind of like out of my hometown, which is Northfield, Minnesota. That's where I lived when I was really little. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, dedicated to my grandma, Elizabeth Dewey. This one's called County 19. I twist in my seat beside the woman who picked me up on County 19, reaching back to help her son eat his happy meal. I fly a French fry through the air, thinking how weird it is to hitch a ride on the road I've driven so many times with my dad, the route between our house and the old folks' home where Grandma lasted alone for 14 years. Each time we visited, the veins wider, bluer, the ankles thinner, the distances between bed sores diminished. The cheer my dad convinced himself to feel as he repeated the litany. I am your son. This is your grandson. We are so happy to see you. The woman asks me where I'm going, and I say as far as you can take me. But as we pass the old folks home, I tell her to pull over. The boy is finished with his happy meal, and now he points at the bruise on his elbow and says, ouch. His mom nods at him in the rear view as I get out. That's right, she says. Ouch. There is the low roof line, the sign with a Bible quote in changeable letters, my grandma's old window as as blank as it was when she lived here, some earth dug up in a bordering cornfield for construction of a new wing. I think about barging through the doors, demanding to see Elizabeth Wee, making some kind of scene. I think about setting up camp in the hole in the cornfield, refusing to leave. But instead, I wander around the grounds for a while. I lie in the parking lot's grass island, the corn stalks feathering the road with lank shadows, the sunlight dipping down into the tassels. In the twilight, I walk back to the shoulder and take a ride from a farmer hauling a trailer stacked with hay bales three high. When he asks me where I'm going, I say as far as you can take me. Thank you. Yeah. So one of the unifying themes I noticed in these pieces is that of movement. All bodies, even lifeless ones, appear to be in motion. Could you speak a little on movement as mechanism or at least what it means to the pieces? 
Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'll just say a little bit about my creative process. I mean, I grew up uh, as a skater, grew up rollerblading, uh, and was very in touch with my own body and physical motions uh, and just the whole kind of aesthetics of movement when I was growing up. Um, and that interest uh, sort of transformed into an interest in uh, wilderness survival and sort of uh, traveling on the cheap uh, during my 20s. And I did a lot of a lot of traveling uh, across the United States, uh, both on bicycle and on freight trains, um, hitchhiking and also traveled a lot in Europe, um, mostly on foot. And so uh, I think my my creative process is really rooted in the body and um, really rooted in motion and rhythm. Um, And when I'm writing, I'm more I'm more kind of like in touch with the breath and the rhythm um, than I am with like a more abstract way of thinking. Um, So that's kind of I think part of why I end up telling these narratives is both because I have experience with a lot of like traveling and motion and also because that's sort of how I think uh, when I write. Um, but yeah, you wanted me to also speak to the, the way that plays in the, in the chat book. Is that right? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, very much part of your creative process. I didn't want to impose movement as mechanism on you. So <laughs> no, 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 that's very much, very much part of what's going on here. Um, I think, you know, a poem that kind of speaks to that on a on a kind of um, metaphysical level, philosophical level in a way is the one right in the owl's eye, which just ends with that idea of um, almost like I mean, it's it's not really necessarily about about a God figure at all, but just the idea of uh, things being transported across distances and the idea of like worth. Uh, of what's what's worthy of being transported, and that's both playing on the idea of you know commercial goods yeah. being transported great distances, and also kind of a, a spiritual level of the idea of what's worth kind of keeping with you, you mm-hmm. know, what's worth mm-hmm. bringing with you through the through your life and past your life into death, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, the poems sort of interconnect that way. The speaker is basically constantly on the move. Um, and yet, in a way, what's foregrounded is not so much the landscape as the people the, the speaker is meeting mm-hmm. uh, or interacting with in some way. Um, and so landscapes keep changing, but they're in a way um, a little bit more of a backdrop uh, mm-hmm. for the interactions that are happening. <clears throat> I had noticed that. And to me, um, what that did was remove a sense of transience or a sense of loss of home, because throughout all of this movement, you, you don't get a very distinct feeling that the speaker is looking for a home. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. That's Yeah, that's a good observation. So let's hear one final poem in our unfortunately short format. Um, could you please read Listening to a Rail in Mandan on page 24? Yeah, definitely. This is another train hopping poem. Um, I forgot to say with, with bird calls that the term uh, bull is, uh, the word bull refers to railroad police mm-hmm. uh, officers. And so when you hear that, and then uh, the term bull run uh, refers to the roads in a train yard that railroad cops drive along when they're trying to find train hoppers. Great. This one's called Listening to a Rail in Mandan. I've heard it said that you can feel it coming in the tremor of the tracks. 
that you can cock your head and cup an ear to the smooth steel and sense it coming in vibrations, in rattles, that you can gather the blaze of friction as it builds, the heart murmur climbing the pass through the mountains inside your head. I stand at the edge of the break and listen for far-off signs, whistles, footfalls, gravel, ground under truck tires. I crawl up the grade to the raised beds and the rails, the bull run on the far side of the yard lit by overheads, each pool of light like a crude betrayal of the darknesses between. The rails take parallel trails of light past the sidings, past the curve at the end of the yard, past the bottleneck at the Heart River Bridge. Two aisles of light like childhood brothers adrift, like a father's eyes carving the dark land beside the dark river, the shape of a tree, the shape of an owl grinding the sky. I've heard it said that you can feel it coming from as far off as a mile, the distance erased in the pump of a vein, in the flicker of overhead lights, the bull run laying in its own dust wasted, the tire tracks zigzagged and stacked where the rail cop makes fate his listless routine. I shoulder against a fish plate and lower my head to the rail. I wait for a chime, a shiver, some thunder to ride past the overland silence. I've heard it said that the kingdom of heaven surrounds us, though we fail to see. No stars tonight, no fire, no brother by the junkers awaiting my call, no father walking toward me on the tar-blackened ties, no dog's eye catching the searchlights, not a single sound fleshing this tank town as the rail begins to shake, as the train begins to whisper my name. That's such an awesome poem. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So um, before we go, would you like to give the listeners any information on the film you and your brother made? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the film is called Riding the High Line. Uh, it, it follows us on, a, on the route that Bird Calls was describing. Uh, so from Minneapolis out to Seattle. Um, it's about 15 minutes. It's up online at ridingthehighline.com. Uh, you can watch it there. Uh, we're really excited to be showing it at the Napa Valley Film Festival in November. Uh, so we'll sort of get to be rubbing shoulders with the film industry for a second, <laughs> see how that goes. <laughs> uh, and we're planning to make some, some more films. So kind of keep a, keep an eye out. Absolutely. I look forward to following your career. Right on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on and sharing your work. You are welcome. This is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. <laughs>